I'm going to look at five things from this narrative that they did to have victory and deliverance. And as we uh, think of uh, Independence Day declared July 4, 1776 in Philadelphia, and as I copied all the grievances they made against Brit the British king, and uh, they finally concluded with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, and then the list of all the names that they signed to the Declaration of Independence. God's people have another declaration. We declare dependence. We are not the people who want to ever declare independence from God. And uh, in this prayer meeting we're having uh, Wednesday night, uh, some of you are thoroughbred political Christians, and that's too bad <clears throat> because well, you, you can't justify it from the Bible. The Bible says no matter who's voted in, we submit. Romans 13. And the man that Paul submitted to beheaded him. His name was Nero. Now, I want to ask you, let me ask you a sincere question. Oh, you fretting. Tell me, is the deliverance going to come from Trump or Hillary? <laughs> and you get all worked up. You think that's where our help comes from? You, you think uh, sit-ins... Uh, in the House of Representatives is what this nation needs? Do you think your marriage could be saved by what Congress does? And we are at the mercy of God because he sets up the basis of men to rule. He said that. He told Daniel, he said, Nebuchadnezzar's there because I want him there. And you serve him well. What we need is a declaration of dependence. We have... Uh, so that's why we call this Wednesday night prayer. It's come to this. It's so desperate. We're going to have a prayer meeting. Because uh, we know marriages that are in trouble. Our giving is at a six-year low. Somebody has decided they're not going to support this church. And so we're in a, a deep basement. Uh, worse in six years. Uh, we've got young people in trouble fighting for, on a lot of different fronts. Uh, I mean, we got unsaved people. We got unsaved people attending every week that have never come to rest in Christ alone. We're glad you're here, but we want you to find Christ. We want you to be saved. So we're going to come and we're going to pray from 630 uh, to 7:30, and then you can go. Some of us may go longer, but we'd love to have you. Next week, here's your assignment. I would like for you to read Revelation chapter 1 through chapter 5. I'm going to begin the book of Revelation next week. I'm going to give a 12-week overview. I won't give all the names of the ten toes of the beast. I'm not going to answer every question you've got about prophecy. So uh, just I want you to at least pull back the lid on Revelation and get the argument and the flow of it, okay? 
and it won't be just about be about dragons and hornets. I want you to get the argument of that book, and in 12 weeks, we should have an overview and understand whether you're premillennial, millennial, or mixed-up millennial, and we're going to be looking at a lot of things because I think much of God's church is in the fog, and they don't think they can understand the future. Well, we can understand everything God revealed about it, and you don't need to eat pizza to know the future. Just this book, and it will give us enough that we'll look at it. But your assignment is read Revel. How many of you have never read the book of Revelation? Okay, David's never read it. Pray for him. <laughs> he needs prayer. How many, let me say, how many over here have never read the book of Revelation? Raise your hand. Yeah. Here. In this section, okay. You're in for a treat. And, and for some, some, some sleepless nights, but it'll be a treat. So um, here we come to Second uh, Chronicles. And we have this story with Jehoshaphat, who is the king of Judah. Uh, he was a wonderful king, except he got mixed up with bad kings. He went out to battle with Ahab, and it wasn't good. He nearly got killed. And God said he would judge him for that. Even after this victory, he makes another alliance with the king of Israel, who is a bad guy. And God says, I'm going to judge you. Don't, don't be making alliances with bad kings. Don't do that. But it was a common thing to do. You wanted security, so you'd make an alliance. But when you follow the straightforward narrative, it goes this way. Ancient enemies of Israel was Edom. And who comes, who, who is the father of the nation of Edom? Esau. Esau, Jacob. Who, where did Moab and Ammon come from? The incestuous offspring of Lot when he slept with his daughters in Genesis 19. So we've got them. And they became ancient enemies of Israel. So we've got three nations. They've invaded Judah. The ten tribes are split off. We've got Israel in the north. We've got Judah down here in Jerusalem. And you've got a good king, Jehoshaphat, minding his own business, not looking for trouble. They get invaded by these armies. They're notified. And immediately, they're caught off guard. They're not ready for it. What has happened? And the king does something that would be refreshing if we could see it happen. He said, we need to fast and seek the face of God. We're facing annihilation. Uh, you know, ISIS is, is, we can't contain them, can we? Orlando, Dhaka, Baghdad, uh, they're going to they're gonna blow up things anywhere, any place, any time, and CIA can't catch them all. We're in dangerous, perilous times. Dangerous. You ought to raise grandchildren in this culture. You ought to be a mother starting out, and there's not any school safe enough to send your kids to unless you can pay out four to 500 a month private tuition because private education costs money. And so they're invaded. He said, Let's have a prayer meeting. Let's seek 
the face of God. And so they seek the face of God, and in verses uh, 5, right through the narrative, he starts quoting back to God and to the people what Solomon had said when they dedicated the temple, uh, that Israel, when there's famine, come to the house of God that Solomon built, and God will hear you and end the famine. When you're under threat from your enemies, meet in this place, call on the name of the Lord, and I will hear you. And so you have the king saying that. He said, let me give you verse 8. And they have lived in it and built for you, that is uh, Judah and Israel, a sanctuary. And you said, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. He's quoting the promise of God to hear them pray when they're in national crises. Show up at the temple, cry out, and you'll get divine help. But you've got to cry out. I'm not delivering a people that won't cry out. I don't answer prayers that have never been prayed. Whining, worrying, and fear isn't enough. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you and not be afraid, the psalmist said. But when I am afraid, I must go to God whose word I praise. Psalms 56, verse 3 and 4. So he's, he's calling on God and he's reciting the promises of God. So then, uh, as they hear this, and God sends his word by the Spirit through a prophet. And this prophet tells them this. We pick up. Uh, about verse, uh, go in the narrative here. Uh, this is what the prophet says in verse 15. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. The king responds, and he tells the people, Believe in the Lord your God, and you'll be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. So he said, believe what you've heard from God. And by the way, let's go out singing the song. That's interesting. Where people are singing, the Spirit of God is working. God never created a mute church. Go to the cemetery if you want order and quiet. God's people, they were told to use loud symbols in Psalms 150. What do you do with that? Do you literally take the Bible? Or you say, well, no, I'll replace that with a ham and organ. 
That's all right, but still have the cymbal. Use whatever instruments God blessed. They didn't have organs and pianos. They had harps, they had tambourines, they had dance. Any way that you can extol God, sing. You're going with a joy and a confidence in God. And God comes down, routes the army. And what's interesting, in the place where the battle took place, that was to annihilate Judah, guess what he says? Let's name the valley. Let's name the valley. Let's call it the valley of slaughter. No. Let's call it the valley of depression. No. I want you to call it Baraka. You know what Baraka means? It means praise. I'm going to turn your valleys into places of praise. I want to turn the places where the enemy planned to eliminate you into a place you're going to bust out singing. The Lord is good, the Lord is great, and the valley has turned into a valley of praise. Now, there's five things taken from this narrative I think we can apply to our own lives. How do we defeat the enemy? First of all, when he comes in like a flood, pray. Pray. He said in Ephesians 6, after you've taken the armor, he then says, praying for all the saints, praying at all times. Uh, What does it mean? Help me out on this meaning. I'm a little clueless. I don't know the Greek good enough. What does the verse mean? Pray without ceasing. Go ahead. I want some deep, uh, some deep interpretation here. Pray without ceasing. It, it kind of goes like this. Some of you prayed a week ago, but you've held your breath for a week. Prayer is like breathing. That's something you do once. It's the life of the believer. We're to be in constant prayer. Constant prayer. Woke up at four this morning, couldn't sleep. I could pray. Isn't that wonderful? Started praying at four this morning. Now it's flat on my back, but it still was prayer. Did you know the Bible pictures people laying down? Standing up, bowing, hands raised, hands not raised. You pray every position, every hour. They prayed in the morning. They prayed five times a day. They prayed in the evening. They prayed all the time. Pray without ceasing. Seek the face of God. I tell you, it's a shame that we hear James say, you don't have because you don't ask. I've heard the illustration, how many of us will land in heaven and discover a warehouse of things God wanted to send us, but we never asked. He said, I would, it would have been yours if you would have asked me. Why is prayer so hard when we're so needy? Why is it? Is it we're lazy, we don't believe in prayer? I, I don't, if you're a Christian, you've you got to believe in prayer. What are you praying about? If God this week answered 
what you've been praying about, what would he do? This week, do you have anything you're specifically asking him for? Does God answer specific prayers? Yeah. There's a little word he uses. Uh, it's translating King James supplication. But the word is a Greek word, deasis, and it means when a specific need is known and it is specifically requested, God would do that. So he goes to God in prayer. Uh, seems so, so natural. And then he says something to God's people that I think uh, we're not prepared for. He confessed to God and his people our dependence on God. He basically told them, you better not be looking to me. I can't get us out of this. I can't get us out. I, we don't have an army prepared to come against these three ancient enemies that are prepared. I mean, it's been a surprise attack. We've been hit. And uh, as your leader, I'd like to say, Jehoshaphat, I want to confess to you, we're in a mess that I can't fix. You call that leadership? Or do you call that honesty? You better get someone bigger than Phil Howard you're counting on, or you're going to have a lot of trouble. Is there any God in church? Is there any Christ-centeredness? Or is it a man-centered place? I don't like this path. I don't like that. Well, I don't know that you have to like them. Could they be God's servant and you not like them? Could someone really be walking with God and you not like them? Could you ever be wrong? I know you got to think about it. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. But here, this wise Jehoshaphat, he said, hey, uh, I've got to depend on God. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. I'm going to look to God for the deliverance because I, I can't do it. Third thing he did, he reminded themselves of the promises of God to help. Uh, do any of you pray the promises one of the great ways to pray, George Mueller learned it. He said for years he prayed. He'd just get on his knees and he would pray. And he finally learned to pray scripture. And uh, he would just pray his way, basically New Testament books. But he would just pray the scripture. And he said it transformed his prayer life. Uh, one of the things we practice around here with the staff, we pray the psalm of the day. Okay? Today's Psalms 3. And then we skip 30 days, we pray Psalms 33, then we go to Psalm 63, then Psalm 93, and then Psalms 123. Five different Psalms a day. That would be a great primer to your prayer life, that you don't know what to ask, you don't know where to begin. Just go through those Psalms. You don't need to just camp there, but you may find language and moods, and that, that expresses your heart, and it can give you a help to get you to the throne of grace. And sometimes fear, anxiety, 
of trouble can just bury the heart so that you don't know where to begin. Start with the Psalms, the ancient hymn book of Israel, the prayer book of Israel. And it was the prayer book of the early church. You can't improve it. It's there to guide us in singing and in praying. And, uh, you know, the Word of God, this is why you want the Word of God in you. Do any of you memorize Scripture? Who, who around here memorizes? Show me. Okay. Uh, okay. We got maybe 20 people. Yeah. Out of all. Do you memorize? Because you have another command in Scripture. Meditate. The blessed man meditates day and night on God's word, right? You can't meditate on what you don't know. Is that good? Is that brilliant insight? Let's say this. Let's give an example. You're going to meditate. I want to meditate on Psalms 23. I know that's a big help. And you're walking on I think it talks about animals. I, I think there's some valley there. I don't know if it's a San Joaquin or what. I mean, when you don't know the psalm, you can't meditate on it. I, I'm meditating on Psalm 23. Won't do you any good. It's not in you. But well, to get it in me would take time. <gasps> you got it. You, but you know, I see people in the church who stay ignorant of the Bible and they're, they're maldeformed. Uh, babies are born with an innate hunger and they want mama's breast without going to college. I know, because my daughter, every time she calls, it's good if we get her when she's not nursing. And I don't know who's more hooked, Elizabeth or the baby. But I hope she's weaned by age five. Deborah took them to five. Uh, but it's built in that baby to get nourishment, to have hunger. See, when you're hungry, you'll eat. A lot of our kids today, they don't eat much. You know why? They've been eating on stuff all day, junk food, so they don't have an appetite at dinner. You got to get it in you. Uh, something I do, I, I take uh, enzymes. Uh, I have a, uh, a pancreas problem, so I have to take enzymes. And... Uh, Sometimes Carolyn would say to me, Robert, going home, she said, did you take your enzymes? No, but I sure hope they work. <laughs> you hope they work. I've got to ingest it. And here's Jehoshaphat. He knows 2 Kings 8. He knows the prayer of Solomon. He's feeding it back to God. God would love for you to feed back things he promised to do. It's not that he forgets. He wants to know if you remember. Do you remember the promises? And when I'm in the battle, believe me, I need someone to remind me of promises. 
after one of my surgeries, I was in a depression and down and just, uh, I went eight weeks and the, the rooms caving in on me. My wife would preach the Bible to me. She would quote scriptures to me. She would say, oh, I'm telling you, that's what he said in Hebrews. Talk to each other the Bible lest we be deceived by sin. If you're going through a storm, don't go to a bar. Go to somebody that can quote the Bible. You need a verse. You need a word. And the word is in Thunderbird. The word is a word from heaven. Talk to your spirit. It will give you strength. And here the king says, let me tell you, God, this is what you promised. I'm casting in your promise. We need protection. We need salvation. We need deliverance. And, and God kept it. But the leader, know the scripture. Know the promise of the way out. Of the way out. Well, then he went on. After reminding himself of the promises of God, he listened to the spirit-revealed words of God. What that prophet said, the king says, if you pay attention to the word the spirit brought through the prophet, we're going to be delivered. He's telling us, stand still. See the salvation of God. Stand still. God's going to deliver. God's going to deliver. And so, uh, you know, it's interesting for us in our battles. He told Moses, stand still. It's hard. But he didn't say run, because when you're afraid, you want to run. When you're anxious, you want to bail out. But he said, stand. Having done all to stand, stand. Having on the armor of God and praying at all times in all ways. So, I don't know where you are now. He told Moses at the Red Sea, stand still, see the salvation of God. Uh, listen to God's words. Stand and watch God work his deliverance. And then valleys will be turned into praise. Valleys will be turned into praise. When you count on God, depend on God, you see, it's a wonderful thing to admit your inadequacies to God. It's wonderful. Some of you, it's, you've, never, uh, you've never maybe done that. There's some people who feel they're competent and they don't know they're incompetent because they're incompetent to evaluate whether they're competent. They're too incompetent to know what competency looks like. So they always give themselves credit for being competent. Are you mixed up? You don't know if you're competent or not. John Piper attended a seminary graduation, the valedictorian, trying to compliment the school, compliment the faculty. He said, I want to thank God that the faculty in this school have made me competent for ministry. And I want to thank you. Simply trying to be polite. Piper said, is that not amazing that the greatest preacher of the Christian era said, our adequacy is not of ourselves, for we are not competent. 
but the Spirit alone has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Your pride is rendering you incompetent. The admission of being incompetent makes us have to rely on other resources. If the Spirit of God doesn't work, Zechariah said, it's not by might, human armies, not by power, human resources, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Oh, would to God we were dealing with Spirit-filled Christianity where we're walking moment by moment in reliance on another's power. I can't overcome sin. I can't learn the Scripture. I don't have enough God to get out of bed in the morning. I need blanket victory. I'd have devotions in the morning, but I'm married to the pillow. I remember years ago when David and some other men, we were trying to bring men on as elders, and they said, well, we need to bone up. They've been here for years, and he and I and several other men, we'd meet early in the morning. They wanted it so bad, himself getting up at 5 in the morning to do the homework. If you want to know God, if you want his word, the hunger will be there. The discipline will be there. Discipline yourself to be godly. You will never be godly being lazy. There's no reward for the lazy man. Proverbs 2 said, truth is not found on the surface of life. Truth is mined as silver. It's mined like gold. You've got to be willing to dig if you want to know what God's thoughts are. God puts that hunger in his people. And so the leader says, I'm going to pray. Who will join me? He says, I confess I'm depending on God and not myself. You remember what they said in uh, Isaiah 30. We need a horse from Egypt to deliver us from the northern invasion. And Isaiah said, you don't need a horse from Egypt. You need to wait on God. He'll give you his strength. And he says in 3015, but you would not. You would not. For you said, I want a horse. And God said, there's not enough horses in Egypt to deliver you. You need a big God, not a fast horse. What we depend on. And then the folly of Jehoshaphat, because God's delivering him. Wicked kings, they figure if they get in alliance with him, they come under protection. Guess what? When you make those alliances, you open yourself, you make yourself an enemy of God. That's why John says, love not the world system, nor the things of the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. For he that doeth the will of God will abide forever, but he that loves the world will perish. We don't make alliances to get God's work done with government, with men, with money. Our resource is in the heavens. And when he got to the end of himself, I will look to God. I never knew that verse was in the Bible. I never knew it until 1972. When I went to the Richmond Hospital down on McDonald 
to visit my dying father, he would often say in the evening, son, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on him. I want to go home. And my brother David kept having hope that he would. My brother David said, he's not coming home. He's not coming. He's dying. Being the youngest child, he's got to come home. I can't lose my dad. I can't lose my dad this young. He said, he's dying. I don't know what to do, but I want to keep my eyes on God in the meantime. And 48 days later, he breathed his last. But guess what? He's seeing God right now. He's beholding him face to face. Who are you looking to? Are you looking to the waves and the size of the giants? Or are you looking to the size of your God? It's easy to measure the giants and not measure God. The evil report was they mentioned everything but God in the report. They mentioned the grapes. They mentioned they were like grasshoppers. They mentioned the giants were big, and all that was accurate. But he said, you made an evil report. Why? You never once mentioned God. I promised this land to Abraham. It's the power, the promise, the sovereignty of God that gets his will done in the earth. Thy will be done on this earth as it is being done in heaven. That should be our prayer and our reliance. We rely on heaven's resources. If God can't do it, you can't. If God doesn't want to save, I can't save. If God doesn't want to bless this church, I can't bless it. But he said he loved his people. He said we were purchased at a great price. And that if he could just get cooperation from us, and if we could let him know we want him bad, we want him bad, we're desperate for you. I read Piper where he described pastoring in the American church as a life of desperate dependence. We can't keep up with all the problems, all the pain, all the sex, all the sin, all the divorce, all the booze, all the drugs, all the misunderstandings. You can't keep up. There's so much trouble, you can't keep track of it. And if you're in your little cocoon of four people, you don't know what's going on in this church. But I'm not in that cocoon. I know what's going on. Marriages are at stake. Oh, your marriage is doing good. That doesn't mean we don't have a lot of young couples struggling to stay married. Wandering lust is in their heart. Waywardness is going. Do you know that? Do you want to know it? Do you want to be bothered? Or do you say, don't bother me. I'm going on another vacation. Go. But everything's at stake. This is a wicked place in so many ways. A God-hating liberal part of this nation. Can Jesus Christ have a church in the Bay Area? I believe he can. I believe he will. And we're going to stand by the grace of God until he comes. Let us stand. Our Heavenly Father, you're sufficient. You're all-powerful. You've never lost a battle. You've never lost a battle. Your word has never failed. Uh, none have ever been ashamed who took you at your word. 
We want to declare we're depending on you. You are our strength. You are our wisdom. You are our future. You're our foundation. We built the church on the foundation of Christ Jesus, and the gates of Hades will not destroy it. Even when we die, we will be with Christ forever. I pray, let us, uh, as Christians in a nation that's gone wayward and abandoning God, a nation in moral crises, may we seek the face of God and not think any politician, any man could ever turn the tide. We need help from heaven. We need help from above. We need revival, Lord. We need revival. We need to see people saved in our Oikos group. Is God saving anyone? Are we leading anyone to Christ? Have we lost our passion for souls? Is there anything going on in our personal lives that is saying, Lord, I'm depending on you. I'm seeking you. I don't know what to do, but I'm depending on you. I'm looking to you. For you're the author and the finisher of this race. We look unto Jesus, lest we become overcome with discouragement. We bless your name forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Don't get burnt barbecuing. God bless you. <laughs>